Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Any Stupid Questions, the podcast where we ask stupid questions about important stuff. I'm Danielle Ward and joining me to explain the environment to us is Emily Bement, the environment and heritage correspondent for the UK Press Association. Hello. Hello. And also joining me are comedians Alice Fraser and John Luke Roberts. Hello. No one listens to the end of podcasts for anything, so if you've got anything you want to plug, uh, you've got about five seconds to do it now, but no more than five seconds or people will get bored. So, John Luke. Um, I'm on tour at the moment with my show. All I want to do is FX gunshots with an FX gun reloading and FX cash register and perform some comedy around the UK. That's a good name. Is there a shortened version of it? Well, people say, all I want to do is, and I get annoyed. Oh, okay, that's that's good. And we've already discussed that you don't have anything to plug, do you, Emily? No. But, you know, she's a nice person. Like that. Um, First question. (laughs) What does climate change even mean? Well, it's a big thing. Um, What? (laughs) Yes. We've only got half an hour. (laughs) Basically, we've been putting loads of fossil fuel emissions out into the atmosphere since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And those emissions, carbon dioxide and other pollutants, are act kind of like a blanket wrapped around the earth. They trap the heat and it means that the temperatures are rising and that's global warming. And climate change is all the things that are happening because of global warming. So it's not just about the temperatures getting warmer. It's not just that we're going to have warmer summers Mm -hmm. and not quite so cold winters. It's that we might have more storms. We might have rising sea levels because the ice sheets are melting. And so there's all these impacts that we're sort of finding out about and beginning to already see happening. See, that all sounds very persuasive. How can people, given that there's all this evidence for climate change, what is the argument for the, what is it, 5%, 1% of scientists who don't believe that climate change is man-made? Well, the first thing about the science of climate change is it's really old. The fact that these gases are trapping heat was proved in about 1860 by a guy called John Tyndall in a lab in London. Mm -hmm. And for some context, that's about the same time as Darwin was bringing out on the origin of species. And everybody believes him. And everyone, well... Well, well... well. (laughs) (laughs) Most people believe him. But it's the same thing. This This is old science it's constantly developing and most of the debate is about the details Mm -hmm. now there are obviously some people who are contrarian who who don't accept the science and that's that's true of all types of science but that's not a mainstream view anymore and actually what's quite scary is that there are very serious scientists who are saying much more extreme things than what we sort of tend to hear about in the mainstream john luke 
Do you have a question? How screwed are we? Harold Wilson used to say he was an optimist, but an optimist who carried a raincoat. I sometimes feel like an optimist who thinks we should maybe be building an ark. We could argue that we are pretty stuffed if we don't do anything, but... There is all sorts of things we can do. We might as well try. Yeah. <laughs> and we might as well try. If we just sit around and go, we're doomed, then, you know, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. What would be more useful, an ark or a sunproof raincoat? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think either of them would be particularly useful. No. I think there's a lot of other things that we could do first. I started wearing floaties everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I found out the other day that sex toys aren't recyclable and it's really shaken me. <laughs> Uh, like I'm all, I'm all up for not using plastic straws in drinks, but how badly can a turtle choke on a penis-shaped novelty item not for recreational use? I've never seen a scientific experiment that's tried to find out one way or the other. <laughs> you haven't lived. <laughs> but the good thing about sex toys is that they are reusable. Unlike a plastic straw, which you only use once and then throw away. Yes, but not... Like, you wouldn't buy one second hand. Well, you can upcycle, can't you? There are probably lots of men on eBay who would definitely do that. Oh, that's a great yeah, point. Yeah, don't sell it to other women. That's what they'd say. Yeah. <laughs> You're pitching it to the wrong audience. Uh, yeah. You want to go for the Japanese kink market. All right. Um... Emily, what is the single biggest contributor to climate change? (laughs) (laughs) My head's going, it's sex toys, isn't it? It's sex toys. (laughs) It's knocking out the skies. Where does sex toys come on the list? (laughs) The biggest contributor is burning fossil fuels for uh, energy. Sorry. (laughs) For energy. So that's making uh, electricity out of coal and gas. Then we've also got the burning of fossil fuels, oil, diesel, petrol for cars and other forms of transport, agriculture and cutting down the forests and other ways in which we change the land are also big ones. Even making cement causes emissions that that cause climate change. Really? Mm -hmm. Is that because you fart when you mix it? Or is it more serious (laughs) than that? It's something to do with the industrial processes to make cement. So, I mean, you didn't list babies in there. And if you read The Guardian, any article on children goes, I'm not having children because babies are really bad. Are babies worse for the environment than a holiday to Australia? I don't think we're ever going to stop having babies as a species. I mean, it'd be silly, right? And, and, you know, serious environmentalists do have children. Yes. So... I don't think that we're going to solve the problem by trying to reduce the population by having fewer babies, mm-hmm. not least because one of the reasons the population is getting bigger is because it's ageing. Yes. So, you know. But what you can do when you have a baby is try and mitigate a lot of the impacts that we have in our lives in all sorts of ways. And you do that with your children just as much as you would do that as an adult. Flying to Australia, probably not great. Oh, um, no, how am I ever going to get home? <laughs> Aviation flying is one of the big difficult challenges because there's lots of solutions for many things. So for creating electricity, we can move over to renewables. For cars, we can go over to electric vehicles, but we haven't got electric planes yet. They're coming. They're sort of flying over the horizon, hopefully, but those are going to be primarily for short hauls, at least to begin with. I mean, I know how stressed I am when I go out with my phone on 12% battery. I can't imagine how I'd feel 30,000 feet in the air above the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're, not, we're not there yet. But there, the other thing you can have is alternate fuels. So looking at 
powering planes with something other than what they currently use, jet fuel. But we're not there yet, so can it is you, an issue. Can you use rapeseed oil to power a car? You can use what's called biofuels. Yeah. And already when you fuel your car up, there's going to be a small percentage of biofuels in your car. And that comes from things like oilseed rape or palm oil or other kind of plant-based fuels. But at the moment in the UK, that only replaces a small amount okay. of what you're, what you're burning when you drive along. How much is progress slowed down by inactivity and the lack of science? And how much is progress slowed down by oil companies not wanting to change the way things are at the moment and you know, uh, energy companies wanting to keep using the sources that they have? Is it, could we make the change tomorrow with a click of our fingers if people weren't evil? <laughs> yes, that's what I'm trying to say. We couldn't do it with a click of our fingers. Yeah. We can do it really fast. And we've seen from other kinds of technology transformations how quickly you can do it. I mean, you know, 15 years ago, who had an iPhone? And Steve Jobs. Yes, the only iPhone. <laughs> and now, you know, everyone has one. Yeah. So that um, was my iPhone falling out of my arse pocket. <laughs> I'm sentient. It's sad. So it can be done. And actually what you see with something like electric vehicles is it's now happening very, very quickly. Yeah. Part of the problem is, you know, if you've built a factory and you've invested loads of money in developing a new car or, or developing a whole series of cars that run on one system, mm-hmm. you've got all of that money invested and you want to get as much out of that money as you possibly can in order to realise your investment. Yes. And the alternative is having to put a whole load more investment in to a new system, which is why you, you see startups like Tesla may actually overtake some of the traditional car firms because they're starting from scratch so they're not having to worry about all this investment that they've done in an old system yeah and it's the same with energy companies you know if you build a coal-fired power station or you build a gas-fired power station you want to run that for as long as you can because you want to get the money back from it you don't want somebody to come along and say well we've built a massive wind farm sorry John Luke, do you have a question? Little things. How I suppose the question I generally think about is how much can we actually do as individuals and how much has to be done on a much larger scale? Like, is not using plastic straws or is making sure that I cut down on the amount of disposable cups I use, is that ha- helpful or really does it need to be done on a much bigger sort of state scale? Well, I think the answer is both. Right. So there's one set of things you can do as an individual. You can, you know, carry a reusable cup you can carry a reusable bottle you can cut down on your single-use plastic you can switch off the lights when you go out of the room you can have shorter showers switch off the water while you're cleaning your teeth all of these things in your individual life but it's not enough for people who are concerned to do that everybody has to be doing all these things but also everybody has to be putting pressure on businesses and governments and other officials to bring in the policies that can really make the change. The UN scientists last year brought out a report that said that we can technically limit global warming to 1.5 degrees centigrade above pre-industrial levels, but it will take unprecedented action in all areas of life by everybody. So that's the sort of scale of the challenge. Because my dad has this real thing about the, oh, the nanny state. So he really didn't like the carrier bag thing. But I, like, it's not enough. I want single-use carrier bags to be £10. I would never ever... I would carry my shopping home in my jumper 
rather than pay £10 for a plastic bag, or like for plastic bottles as well. They should be priced at a, a price point that's so insane that no one would ever use them. Why doesn't that happen? Because not everybody thinks like you. Oh, OK. But, it, you know, government responds to public pressure. That's, that's what governments do. If I write Michael Gove a letter every day saying this... You might get somewhere, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 seriously, the you know the government responds to what the public wants. There was a lot of public pressure over plastics, and we're now beginning to see that coming mm-hmm. through. We've seen the potentially the price going up of the single-use plastic bags. We're seeing a lot of supermarkets taking action that they maybe weren't taking so proactively two or three years ago. You yeah. know this this whole blue planet effect where people have seen the impacts of what plastic is doing whether it's the plastic straws or whatever else it might be <laughs> and you know they're they're now demanding action from the people who can make a difference can i check was there an episode of the blue planet where sex toys featured <laughs> it was just it was just a, this is that cotton bud wrapped around the little tiny seahorse's tail i'm sure there was other stuff as well <laughs> i mean i suppose to a seahorse a cotton bud yeah, well, probably I mean, is a sex toy yeah. it's the right size well, quite i would have thought quite proportionally yeah, yeah. Get a bit of action. Alice, do you have a question? Yes, I do. I heard two... I will carry on. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting a lot of use out of the sex toys, so that's reassuring. I was sitting on the bus the other day and I heard two grumpy men talking about these uh, riots in France, which were to do, as far as I understood from the grumpy old men, with the sort of environmental initiatives that made things cost more money. That happened in Australia as well. Julia Gillard basically went out on the carbon tax, which was, you know, the point being to make electricity more expensive so we don't all have to learn how to chew solid air in six years' time. Are these kind of unfortunate rejections of political movements going to lead to political inaction on this? Do you think the government's going to be too scared to do anything for fear of these kind of riots? And Well, I mean, it's a big, it's a big issue, this idea that we need to make this huge transition to clean energy and a more sustainable living, but that the transition needs to be just so that we can't simply just lay off um, all of the coal miners or the coal plant workers or the sort of more traditional energy producers and just say, well, I'm sorry, the world's changed. We're over here now. Equally, you know, if you are going to shift from fossil fuels for powering cars over to electric, you've got to find a way to make that transition work for people because otherwise people won't do it and then governments won't do it. One of the interesting things, for example, about electric vehicles is that they're on a price curve that's likely to become cheaper than traditional models very soon. And once they do, running them is much cheaper the electricity is much cheaper than the petrol or the diesel that you put in them. So actually it can very quickly become something that's worth doing for people. But you've got to manage that transition. And if you don't manage that transition, it's going to be a really bumpy ride. Hey, I mean, what about Flintstones cars? Can we get them? <laughs> or cars with sails? Well, but the Flintstones cars, you still, you still need the fuel yourself. So that's agriculture, that's the other things, because you're powering them with your feet. Yeah, you've got to just drink a lot of crude oil. Yes. So nuclear energy... They didn't think those th- cars through it. T- Hang on. Those cars were slowing them down. Well, you get a bit of momentum. Well, only um... if there's a hill. And you never see them pick their feet up, to be fair. Um, nuclear energy. Are the benefits really worth risking the army of mutants that it will inevitably create? I mean, the thing about nuclear power is it is produces an awful lot of very, very 
tasty energy. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Uh, The thing about nuclear power is it produces a lot of very, very low carbon energy, but it also produces nuclear waste and dealing with the nuclear waste is a big problem. It's a multi-billion pound problem in the UK. We haven't found anywhere to put it. What do they do with it? They bury it in Australia a lot. Oh, yeah, they just send it over on ships. Do do you send it off on ships? I think most of it's in Sellafield at the moment. Oh, really? But they were looking for deep geological storage for it and they were hoping to bury it under Cumbria Mm. and the council's rejected it, so now we're... The government is on the search again. Firing it into space? Have they thought about firing it into space? I was thinking about firing lots of stuff into space. Why? Okay, this is a really (laughs) stupid question. I'll ask it in a bit because we're on the nuclear thing. But I do have a question which is stupid enough to ask. (laughs) (laughs) So, so you know, so there's the the nuclear waste problem. Mm -hmm. The other problem that nuclear is facing, certainly in this country, is that other clean technology is now significantly cheaper. Mm -hmm. So offshore and onshore wind are both much cheaper than nuclear. Now, nuclear is a steady supply and onshore and offshore wind are, are intermittent. It's when the wind blows. But we're probably getting to a place now where we're developing storage for electricity and we're developing much smarter grids that can respond to when there's electricity and use it when it's there. So models suggest that we need a, a, a mix of everything. Mm-hmm. But how much of a part that nuclear is going to play in the future, it's hard to see at the moment. On the subject of storing energy, you know how like people, especially in London, like doing exercise and running and stuff? Has anybody ever thought about tapping into that energy source of people running? I think there were some gyms where the electricity was powered by the people running or the people on the exercise bikes, but I'm not sure it ever took off. That's my idea. It's a great idea. It's a good idea. <laughs> Can I ask my stupid question? Stupid question. <laughs> right. So, ice caps are melting. There's going to be a lot of flooding. Can we just shoot the water into space? (laughs) (laughs) Would it not be easy to refreeze the water? Well, we can't, where are we going to get the power for that? Just put a fridge on top of Antarctica. (laughs) (laughs) This is a really smart conversation. (laughs) I'm not sure anyone's looking at that. So, what you're saying is no. (laughs) I suppose there's a... I think there might be a sensible question... Behind this, (laughs) in terms of like, you know, like painting things white to reflect things and in terms of like technological solutions to minimise the effects of climate change, how useful are those or is it just sort of... So they're they're geoengineering, basically. So that's large scale solutions such as putting mirrors in space or shooting aerosols into space to reflect the sun's rays. They are talked about... There's a lot of concern about them because we don't know what the unintended consequences of them would be. A lot of them don't fix all of the problems associated with global warming, one of which is because we're putting all this carbon out into the atmosphere, a lot of that dissolves back into the seas and makes the seas more acidic and that is killing or will kill a lot of the sea life, especially sea life that's made with shells or corals and that that won't be affected by putting mirrors in space. So that's not a better solution than just cutting the amount of carbon dioxide and other emissions we put into the atmosphere. Hello, thank you for downloading Any Stupid Questions. Uh, We hope that you enjoy this podcast, and if you do, it would be absolutely brilliant if you could go on iTunes and rate and review us. Nice rating and reviews. I mean, if you've really hated it, then don't feel you need to tell anybody, but um, if you did like it, five stars and telling your best friends would be very helpful. Thank you.
Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. What is the best form of renewable energy? That sort of depends where you are and the scale at which you want to do it. So UK, an island, lots of wind, lots of sea. Mm -hmm. Offshore wind is, you know, is, is, is booming at the moment. It's become much cheaper. It's, these, these turbines are huge. You know, their rotation is like the size of the London Eye. Wow. One rotation of a wind farm can power a home for 29 hours. I mean, they're really big-scale, efficient turbines. But if you're in Africa in a village that's off-grid, mm-hmm. the most logical thing is a small-scale solar panel just to power your house or solar lights. So, I mean, it's sort of horses for courses. But it's all stuff that's naturally available. Yes. That's the... So it's not, you know, burning the animals we don't like or anything like that. So I like to recycle. I find it fun. How much of my recycling gets recycled? And if I don't wash stuff properly, is that bad? It's bad not to wash stuff properly because if you don't wash it, it contaminates that bit of recycling, but also it can contaminate more recycling and then you can't recycle it if it's contaminated okay so i'm genuinely meant to wash my tins properly give them a good you know rinse them out yeah so that you're not throwing them in with like a bunch of kidney beans stuck to the bottom of them or a bunch of baked beans stuck to the bottom of them still if cardboard is greasy can i not recycle that probably not because you you always have to think what's this going to be made into so if cardboard is if it's a pizza box and it's covered in cheese you're not really going to make it into anything. Delicious, cheesy books. <laughs> cheesy mm. toilet paper. Um, so things have to be cleaned properly. Things have to... I mean, you know, I'm not talking, like, sort of scrubbed so they're shining, yeah. but just give them a good wash out. If you've got a plastic bottle with lids, pop the lid back on again, that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. just, you know, make it as clean as you can without going overboard. Uh, in terms of what gets recycled, I mean, it depends on where you live what you can recycle and obviously you know just work out what your local council takes because if you're putting stuff in the recycling that they can't take then you're contaminating the recycling but tins and glass and paper we recycle them 
They're great. Plastic has obviously been a bit more complicated because we were shipping a lot of it to China and then China banned the imports of plastic because they've got a lot of their own plastic and, you know, there was some concern about whether shipping it to other countries, whether it was actually being properly recycled or whether it was going to landfill. And that's obviously something that companies that are shipping plastic abroad need to be taking note of and and making sure that that's happening. So there's no way of recycling plastic in the UK? There is. I mean, different types of plastic. Oh, okay. Yeah, there there are some... There are... I think there are plastic facilities. Because I always... I, I have a plastic recycling box and I put, you know, my washing liquid bottle they say they accept that but someone told me it just gets burnt near us i live in york and they said oh it just all goes to like this plant where they burn all the plastic i think there are times and places where waste does get burned or goes to landfill that you might think is being recycled often that's because it is contaminated but the thing to do is chase it up with your local authority and put pressure on them to make sure that the stuff you're recycling really is being recycled John Luke, do you recite? No, have you got a question? No, I was just quite. I realised that Blue Peter must have done quite a lot of good with all their By like wa- washing up bottles and yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the aluminium. Are you meant to rinse out? You can't. You're like, if, well, I've got a can of Coke in front of me. Should I should I give it a rinse before putting it in the recycling? You probably give it a very quick rinse. I th- I think I'm doing recycling wrong. I think I'm a lazy I recycler. I worry about it because you, you sort of occasionally I'll read something and go, oh, I'm not meant to recycle that. Well, yeah. nobody told me. That yeah. It, yeah, and then it's... But they sort it out. Well, they that, don't I, just I, trust you I to have done it some, properly. I, well, that's, I read that somewhere that actually the most efficient way to do it, is this right, would be if everything was just sorted at the depot and that you were just putting everything in and then they were doing it at the other end. So there's different ways of doing it. You can have curbside recycling where you put your tins in one box and your paper in another Mm. box and and so on and that tends to have better quality recycling but you tend to get less because people do it less whereas if you have a big bin like I do where you put all of your dry recycling in and then it gets taken off to a depot to be sorted you get more collected but you might lose a bit more because some of it gets contaminated by, simply by being mixed together. Right. So it's different councils. Oh, my plastic choose... is all cardboardy. Yeah. <laughs> it, but different councils choose different methods, and it, it you know, and it just depends on where you live. So that's why you need to check. As a woman, should I have a moon cup? Does that make a big difference? Because <laughs> I haven't got one. I'm like old school. <laughs> <laughs> there is plastic in sanitary products i try and buy organic ones and ones that are only they say they're only made out of cotton but and um one of the supermarkets has just started selling reusable applicators do you have to give them a rinse (laughs) (laughs) but also i was just thinking about the condom thing as well i they're bad for the environment surely condoms don't seem yeah but not as bad as a baby though it's yeah i mean yeah. yeah i mean a lot of these things it it's more about being aware of what you can flush as well oh yes so we never flush a condom but also flushable wipes a lot of wipes that say that they should be flushable oh yeah they're just Um, lying about being flushable the tests they do to say that they're flushable are not necessarily mimicking the conditions they will actually go through on their way down the drain force them into a turtle's mouth and see if it comes out so if you use those you should keep them (laughs) 
hold them. I do like. I, I do try and not do the the single use thing. I bought all these like fancy like uh, bamboo cotton wipes for my daughter and everything. But then you've got like a bag of things covered in poo, and you're like, oh god, it's just more things covered in poo. I think the thing is not to be disheartened by the difficult stuff. So do what you can, and put pressure on manufacturers and companies to come up with solutions for the stuff that is difficult yeah. rather than getting kind of bogged down in the oh no I've got this product and I don't know what to do with it I can't see the solution for anything How much difference would banning cars make just the UK let's just talk about the UK First of all, when you say banning cars, do you mean all cars or do you mean... Banning cars for personal use. So we can still use, you know, lorries and uh, vehicles for transporting goods, but us as individuals were only allowed to use public transport or bicycles. Well, then does need to be a shift away from private cars towards more use of public transport, more cycling, more walking, and... That's not just for pollution reasons, that's for health reasons. It's, you know, it's healthier to do a walk than it is to go by car. for not a Flintstones car. <laughs> well, unless you've got a pedal car, <laughs> then you're better off pedalling on a bike or walking, at least for short journeys where you can. But there is also this shift towards electric vehicles, which will take away a lot of the pollution problem. Not all of it, because mm-hmm. some of the local air pollution you get from vehicles comes off of brakes and tyres. So there does need no to... brakes <laughs> or tires. Yeah. So that you know there does need to be some moves away from private car use, but also private cars are very useful, and we all our cities are set up, or a lot of our cities are set up for yeah. those. So we do need to find other solutions, such as electric vehicles and better public transport. I was sat in. It took me fifty minutes to do a journey that was. If I'd have done it on foot, would have taken a minute this morning because I had to load some set down to like. So I had to get a van to load some set, and um, we're stuck in traffic and there were loads and loads of cars. And my van driver was going. I saw people taking their kids to school. And I was like, yeah, it was crazy. These people sat in these cars taking their kids to school. But then you realise they're taking their kids to school. Like it's a school that's three miles away, and so if their kid is five years old, how are you going to get your child to school? And so I guess there's when you pedal it backwards, there's it's, shoot them into space. Shoot them into space. There's so many. It stretches so far and wide, doesn't it? The environment. You can't if you can't just take away cars if you're not going to build more schools near people. You can't take away people's cars if there's no buses running on a Sunday. So. And this is the thing with the environment. It's about thinking about it in the whole and being quite radical sometimes, but also seeing how existing infrastructure can adapt. And one of the big things is houses. So our houses aren't as energy efficient as they could be but most of us like to live in old houses you know victorian houses which are cold and drafty and single glazed Mm. are you know are really desirable so so it's not just a question of pulling all of those houses down and using a lot of energy and materials to build new ones it's finding ways to adapt what we have to make it much more energy efficient or just use less materials Final questions. So this idea of keeping emissions below 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels, if we all make a massive change, doesn't seem likely to me. Should we be focusing on trying really hard to evolve more gills? We can't just 
cut emissions our way out of this problem. Mm. We are already locked in to a certain amount of warming. It's already one degrees above what it was before the Industrial Revolution. And that's already having effects. The sea levels are already rising. We're already seeing more extreme storms. So we do have to adapt. And that is going to be finding ways of adapting to floods, perhaps. You know, there might be some kind of building seawalls higher, but a lot of it is going to be finding ways to make our houses so that they don't get as damaged by floods. Put the door higher, that sort of thing. Well, put the electric plugs higher. Oh, wow. So instead of having your plugs along the top of the skirting board, which you would have in a normal house, if your house is flood prone and you put your plugs at the top of the ground floor or even just sort of halfway up, then the electrics won't get flooded and you won't cause so much damage. It's also more energy efficient of using solar panels because it's got less far to travel. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good idea. I'll do that. Have you got a question? Which animals can we do without? (laughs) I knew I was going to get the panda question. (laughs) I don't think we should be... I'm not talking Allowing. about going and killing them. <laughs> I don't think we should be... I think we should be fighting to save as many species as we can. Species have always gone extinct, but at the moment they are going extinct at a much faster rate than they have in the past because of human activity. And for every big charismatic animal like the orangutan or the tiger, there's a whole habitat of other species that are being affected so and they're less popular yeah so if you say oh well maybe we don't need this species you're possibly you know not only might you lose that species because you don't care about it you could lose a whole series of other species you could lose forests which are really important to humans you know there may be medicines in there and there may be that could cure cancer or there's all the carbon that you're storing in those forests so so it's not about saving or losing individual species it's about protecting whole landscapes and can i ask a follow-up if humans if we all of us were just to die tomorrow from a plague how long would it take the environment the world to sort of recover or would it in fact be able to recover I don't know the answer to that. Well, let's find out. <laughs> Opens file. <laughs> but interestingly, that, so I mean, this is this is a bit of a macabre ending. But when the Europeans went into the Americas, so many people died that the agriculture and the land that they were sort of managing rewilded itself. And that's now seen as the likely reason why we had what's called the Little Ice Age a few hundred years ago where temperatures actually got colder because the forests were coming back. And so actually you can see that nature does come back very quickly if you give it a chance. So you know how crop rotation exists? Mm -hmm. How have we thought about continent rotation where we just take everybody from a continent, put them somewhere else for, like, 50 years... With planes. Yeah, with planes, but take it in turns. (laughs) So, you know, we let let Europe grow back and then we let Africa grow back. Has anybody suggested that? Because I think that might be a solution to all our problems. Also, we can use the moon as a stopgap for the continent that's not, so we don't need to take up room on another one. Well, you do find people saying that we should colonise Mars, but nowhere on Mars is as hospitable to humans as the least hospitable place 
on Earth. Hull. Sorry. I always laugh at those jokes, even though I'm not from the UK, so I don't know what Hull means. <laughs> Apologies to anybody who lives in Hull. The Hull Truck Theatre is a wonderful place. I have one last question, very quickly. My daughter is one year old. Is she likely to need a pension, or will the Earth be dead by the time she's 70? I think probably by the time she's 70, we'll have very different views of pensions. Okay. So, But that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Is she going to be all right? I'll is go she going to be my, all right? I'll go back to my optimism Okay. Point. I, you know, I think human beings have an incredible capability to adapt, to find solutions to problems, particularly when our backs are up against the wall. And there are solutions out there. There are things people can do. There are technologies coming down the road. But it really needs to be fast and it needs to be happening now mm -hmm. in order to give the generation that are being born now something like the world that we inherited continent rotation i can't even believe no one suggested it before i think it's a genuinely very good idea that's it for this week thanks to emily beement alice fraser and john link roberts and remember you can follow us on twitter at any stupid cues i'm danielle ward and the producer was ed morris thank you so much for listening spin your passion into a business of shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>